0: Okay, here we are.
1: Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. This is Ollie, and that this is Scott. Scott. That's Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And what are we talking about today in in science in between world?
0: Oh, science in between world. That it with is with all not, the betweeners it, with the it betweeners. Is, that's right. It is its own little world for sure. <laughs> it is.
1: It's a small world. It's a sad it's, small world, but it, <laughs> it's but not it sad. It's a no. happy, joyful happy. world
0: right joyful we're yeah, all small though definitely yeah. small i um, i feel like you you want
1: to break out in the song there
0: no it's, i do not
1: i'm all I, I sense you're, it you're I more it. the
0: musical guy than i am so i think I, if anybody's gonna sing it's gonna be you mm, am i i don't Car- know karaoke in between
1: um i know <laughs> <laughs> i went to karaoke because of you you i followed you and you're a little parade of folks i did not go there all, <laughs>
0: Um, i was clearly
1: an outsider in that group
0: that's a story for another day
1: (laughs) i think we've told that story like like maybe 20 episodes yeah
0: but today that's not what we're talking about today we're going to talk about this this idea of a a model and modeling and the reason we're going to talk about that is because that was something that's somewhat new to the ngss like we didn't really talk very much about models and model-based inquiry there was a little bit of that talk um pre-NGSS, but it really, really shifted um when when we got the the framework in the NGSS. So so we're going to talk a little bit about modeling and and the different sort of connotations or ways that that's been taken in science education. Um,
1: and, I, and I think like it's a, you know, it's one of those things where it has some good and bad with it, right? I mean I think uh students often see the model as the thing, right? And mm-hmm. so I think it has um, it has a lot of utility, um, both as you know, as sort of an instructional practice and as, and as a scientific practice. But it also has some challenges because you know you have to be really explicit with students: hey, that the the, the atom the atom doesn't actually look like a planet m- planetary right. model, right? It's a as a model to help us understand things, but that's not really how it is, you know. So like the difference between the model and the thing, right? Yeah,
0: but we should. I mean. Yes, but we should probably take a step back and talk about what a model sure. is and what it means. But but I will say part of that is pedagogical, right? Part of the reason that students confuse those things is we teach right. them the model as if it's the thing. Right. And then they just say, oh, well, then it must be the thing. But yeah, go ahead. So, no. Yeah. Like, so I, I guess, you know... Why don't, why don't you go?
1: Why don't you go? Because I think you're a little bit more in, in ingrained in the you know that side of the NGSS modeling stuff, and then I can jump in with you know my experiences and and all that.
0: Yeah, I mean, really the this. Th- thing that models do or that that make models important and increasingly important is um, I mean we've we've always had models in science right so models are are just a different way of talking about explanations right so um, so atomic models since you brought those up let's use those as an example like those are those are really just elaborated explanations they're they're explanations that are an attempt to to um, create a facsimile, a model of some other um, natural system that we usually can't see. Um,
1: Yeah, and it started throughout um, the the NGSS, but I think specifically the place where it shows up is in the science and engineering practices. So this is something that we should be teaching at all grade levels, this idea that students can use and construct models for representing their own ideas, but also to, you know, explain things in science.
0: And yeah. Yeah. So these, so the, the idea is that models can take lots of forms and that's one of the big, you know, discussions in the field these days is what counts as a model and what doesn't, right. Cause you can argue F equals MA is a model, right? Um, it's an equation, but you can also say, well, it's a model of something. It's, it's a, a model. mathematical model. Exactly. It's a very simple in that sense, but powerful mathematical model, um, but models are just, but the, but it's a very different kind of model than, say, the atomic model, which Damn. which has a has a sort of physical, uh, diagrammatic sort of sense to it, versus it has lots of mathematical complexity built into it as well. So this idea that really what you're doing when you're doing science is, is you're building a model. You're building an approximation of reality because that helps you better understand reality. And that, that model is not, as you said, the thing, right. F equals yeah. MA is not a perfect description of the world. Um, it's just a, it's a, it helps us understand things in, in useful ways, but um, but this idea of like the the purpose of science is building models and modeling is is a somewhat new way to frame it right we've talked about inquiry before we've talked about investigations we've talked about the scientific method right but but none of that none of those um really included the idea of models all of them really were Hypothesis testing which is a which is a different thing right i mean it it really can grow out of models, but it isn't models so so this idea that really the goal of science is about building models, building explanations um is relatively new and as you say, is related to this idea of scientific practices right It was like well let's look at what science scientists actually do, and then use that as a way to think about um how we teach kids science and you know, scientists do hypothesis tests, but what they do most of the time, a lot of the time, is they're building models or, or um, revising models or a list, you know, or um, checking model against data, right? So they're, they're constantly trying to improve our understandings of the world as framed in a model. Yeah, almost like
1: I think we we should distinguish between the big M models and the little M models, oh, right? Here
0: we go. Here we go. It, it,
1: no, because like I mean, the big M models are yeah, these yeah. Mo- the models that like are the ones that you know are used in sciences ways of understanding, right? Like you know, like I, I we keep coming back to the atomic model, but I mean, like all those have like names, right? Like the the Bohr model of the atom, plum pudding, the model. plum pudding model. Those are the the big M models, and I think those, while those are Im- important, I think that what we often, what often happens in science is we we teach those as the thing, right? right. Or we teach them as, in and, and I. I think that science teachers, what they try to do is to try to show that history of the development of the models and how it, uh, those models are influenced by gaining more information. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but that's still going on. It's not like we've reached the end of the sentence, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's still going on, but these, uh, you know, these big M models are the things that like are almost taught like content, right? They're taught like, as, as like, you know, nomenclature as, you know, is taxonomy is all of that. It's taught as big M models. But then we're looking at uh, little M models as the things that we're gonna ask kids to do in our classrooms, right? To, to 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 model some sort of thing so that they can better understand it or represent it or you know help to explain it. And these are the things I think that's really critical about how we're trying to shift our scientific practices or the things that are happening in our classrooms from you know having them just learn content as the thing, right? As the big book of science to having them engage with science and developing their own models and understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's a little, little M model as modeling is something that happens in their, in the classroom as, you know, and it changes their access point and their involvement and, and their position with mm-hmm. regard to that content within, with regards to the, you know, and I think that's, I, I think that's really a powerful difference from my point of view is, mm-hmm. you know, seeing it from, you know, a, a an explanation that's done in science versus a practice that in you know engages them in the process of understanding science
0: yeah, right. And I th- I think that's it. I mean, I think the difference is what you're really talking about in big M little m the way you've described it I think is the difference between modeling as a practice and modeling as an outcome. Right. Right or a model as an outcome. So we one of the one of the reasons it's important to engage kids in modeling as a practice in schools is so they understand where where and how these models come about and the limitations of them right so that they understand that models are models which which is to say they don't represent all the complexity of the natural world they're they're explicitly designed to reduce that complexity to help us understand phenomenon in useful ways but if you don't understand that you do think that they're the same thing right you right. think that this this thing that we've developed is true which it's not and that it that it is always you know correct and meaningful and and doesn't have any sort of wiggle to it right and then this is what where you get into the issues of people saying well you know climate change we we say oh well there's only a you know a 99% chance that that the climate is is uh anthrop- anthropocentric right that we're that it's human-caused climate change it's like well that's an exaggeration i don't know what the actual percentage is that people agree on but whatever the percentage is it's very high but people are like oh well but there, then there's this 13 percent chance that it's not right and so we don't have to worry about it. It's like, well, you don't really understand then how you know. Well, obviously, don't understand what models actually mean and what these, this uncertainty. And maybe that's, I don't know, that's a related term that we probably don't need to get into today, but would be worth another conversation, which is this idea of helping kids understand uncertainty and what that really means. Oh wow, that is that's an episode <laughs> in itself, the right yeah. there. But, it, I, but I do. It has I do. To, well, let me just quickly say it, it has to do with this relationship between the model and the thing that you're modeling. Right. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of uncertainty built in there that, that kids assume doesn't exist because you're teaching them. Oh, this is, you know, this is plate tectonics. This is the way the earth works. It's like, well, yeah, it's a super useful tool, but it's not the way the world works. Right. It's just, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I wanted to just highlight the fact that you were able to, say that that term and i'm not even going to attempt to say the term um but i was 100%. i was yes that word right there i want to yeah. just you know i, I should have a, a bell ding whenever ding. scott pronounces something correctly and <laughs> i like a little on oh whenever i don't You know <laughs> yeah that'd be nice <laughs> some post-production yeah. you know editing you know right that'd, that'd be that'd awesome good. we'll yeah. just
0: talk to our editor who's part of our small world we'll just right we'll yeah. have to
1: yeah. effort that
0: yeah. Oh. 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 I don't think that see that's what you do that I don't do. You put in the you do, use these words that they're they're like uh I don't know what they are. B- bad words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: great. Uh so I I think that uh we as science teachers have to recognize how frequent we get our students to model and and i think one of the things with the ngss is that like to use the terminology and say hey when we're doing this this is a model right because modeling is a pretty encompassing practice like because it's not just about drawing pictures right i think that's a graphical representation Mm -hmm. but there's all kinds of computer simulations mathematical representations things that like i just think like all the free body diagramming we do in in physics, right? Mm-hmm. When we're talking forces mm-hmm. and and all those free body diagrams are are models to help represent what's going on in in a situation, right? Or you know when we have students who are looking at some you know you know physics problem when they're writing equations that's a mathematical model of what's mm-hmm. going on. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a simplified because it, it doesn't encompass all of the things, right. you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, anytime that we're saying, Hey, the center of mass exists here and mm-hmm. let's just, you know, take this complex um, object and, you know, whittle it down to this little dot that right. is a model that is used to help us uh, understand and explain the situation. and, yeah. But I think that, you know, one of the things that we have to do in, in science, if we're going to be really true to uh, the next generation science standards, is to tip our hat to that a little bit more so that the students see how, you know, how this is a, a practice that goes across all sciences. It's not it's just when we talk about, you know, the atomic model, you know, right. like, uh, you know, when we're trying to have a better understanding of the, the it's atom, it's, it's, it's much more uh, universal than that.
0: It's not just things that have model in their title right. in the science class, right? Yeah, Much it's, more ubiquitous. Every, everything is basically a model. And I think the other thing that you've hit on that I, that I want to circle back to and emphasize is, you know, one of the great things about thinking about... About this as a practice as a modeling practice for kids and we talk about this like in ambitious science teaching we talk about developing an initial model like one of the things that we do as part of that process is we ask kids to draw pictures like we don't just say write out your explanation like the model especially the initial model but all the models throughout the process involve drawing and i think that's important because it helps us um conceptualize models as different uh, than, than um, just explanations, and it draws other kids in, right? So it it opens up the possibility of more people contributing to that model if it's not just all language, if it's not just all math, but it's drawing too, right? It's saying, okay, well, we're gonna try and do an initial model of how this tanker implodes after it's if it's power wash, right? Like this is uh this is a classic AST sort of phenomenon. And and one of the things we have students do is you know, draw a before, a during, and after picture, and then And then you can write words too, but a lot of it is trying to to visualize what's going on there. And and that's what a lot of models do. I mean, I think it's really interesting, especially in physics, like one of the things that we always talk about wanting our kids to learn, but we don't do a very good job supporting them and learning it is understanding the relationship between Visual representations of mathematics and and equations right so yeah the the stuff we do with um, sonic range finders back on back in right. the day right where where you walk back and forth in front of a sonic rangefinder and it shows your position time right. graph and and helping kids understand that that what that means, like being able to translate that visual image into a meaningful uh, physical explanation of what 's going on is really hard but it's partially hard because we don't give them any experience or practice doing it so um you know this this idea of connecting visual uh representations of things with with conceptual representations i think is really important to modeling
1: well there's a whole a whole you know way of teaching physics that's built on that we talked about this briefly before the show was you know one of the you know I mean, there's been a a variety of different innovations in teaching physics over the years. You know, there's the Physics First movement, which was trying to get uh, to teach more conceptual physics in earlier grades that, um, and I think that kind of correlated with inquiry, you know, the inquiry movement, because physics would be one of those things that, you know, students can do in a classroom and, you know, really examine and, and understand some, you know, physics concepts. But another movement that was happening probably right around that same time was this idea of modeling physics modeling it came out of Arizona state and what it what you know was built on are these sonic range finders which you know and other things it's not just that but other things too um, but that's the easy one to understand because you know it's kind of like the radar gun right where it sends right. out like you know sound waves and it, it graphs in real time motion so you could drop like a you know a ball over a you know one of these um, You know sensors, and it would graph in real time the 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 fall, the descent of this ball, which you know you could do position versus time, velocity versus time, whatever, because it's measuring all of that stuff. Um, And then um, with that graph, you know the students can then better understand where the equations of motion come from,
0: Mm.
1: right? Because that's a that we we have a you know data some evidence to show okay here's how the the path of this ball or the path of this object is is happening in real time now let's take a look at ways we can represent that and the ways we can represent that is by you know you know mathematically you know representing its its the, the graph the curve the line whatever that is and what you get is the the equations of motion that come from that because the parabolic motion of the position versus time graph is one of the equations of motion, right? With the initial position, you know, final position, you know, all that. Um, so helping the students understand that the, those equations that the students are using are, you know, not just things that we find in a big book someplace. They're come, right. They come from real physical things that, that, that math, represents that it is a a representation of that it's there are other ways of representing it but that's a wet way of representing it and so i think that's where the modeling practice there is used to not just have students explain something but to help them understand something that's happening so it's used as like almost like as an instructional instructional practice you know, that's a little more teacher directed. Right. And, and I know that's a, that's a subtle difference because I think they're both, they're all teacher practices, but this is like going back into the nineties. I mean, this isn't like new stuff. This is stuff that, you know, I was still teaching physics when this stuff was moving through the sensors became much more inexpensive. Mm -hmm. And so schools were starting to use them. And so that technology is again, that the connection between technology and, and practice and technology and science is that, um, these you know devices, these you know sensors became pretty inexpensive, and now you can do a lot of this stuff on kids' phones with like just simple, you know, um, graphing apps and modeling apps and things like that. I mean, every single phone has an accelerometer
0: in it, you know. Yeah, right, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, so
1: it really opens up all sorts of opportunities for for uh, people to do all kinds of cool things with kids. But the important part is that it's it's not the it's not the outcome itself you know, any of that stuff is not the outcome. It's a, it's a way for kids to understand the outcome, understand the practice, understand the, you know, the situation. And so I think, you know, creating a model is in itself, you know, only as beneficial as the explanation it, it you know, affords.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that um, modeling pedagogy has, has also developed over time. I think it's become um, more grounded in the sort of ways that NGSS thinks about things in terms of you know developing, refining models, and it's so it's it's um, but it but it's got a tremendous following. So especially in physics, right? This modeling modeling curriculum is uh, has has as you say been around for decades, but has like a really devoted group of folks that think this is the way to teach physics really. So, um, and maybe other things, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to know if they're, they've expanded beyond physics, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, and I think the other reason that models are important um, and important and an important way for students to think about science is just what's happened in the last, let's say 20 years in science, which is, which is that almost all science now is, modeled and specifically computationally modeled. Like it really is the case that the vast majority of science now has some overlay or intersection or Venn diagram overlap with computation. There are people, you know, building models on computers, right? And so um, understanding that I think is increasingly important for kids um, and for citizens to understand that um even though we were doing that in you know in the old days too right i mean that f, again f equals ma is a computational model it's just a simple one but increasingly we're as we try to model more complex systems like the earth or the atmosphere or you know ecosystems um things that are big and complicated uh, we need support. Like our brains can't do that the way that, you know, Isaac Newton could do that in, with, you know, a pen and paper in the old days, right? Like that's right. just not the way it can be done.
1: Well, I th- so, I think a little bit about like, uh what was the episode of Ex- Against the Odds? The uh Respect the Polygon.
0: Yeah, Respect the Polygon, right.
1: Yeah, which is, you know, really, you know, these complex. So just to kind of do a little backstory with this, we talked about the Against the Odds a few a few episodes ago as one of our joys and it uh, this the season against the rules against the rules i always call it the against the odds against mm-hmm. the rules i apologize so against the rules is uh michael lewis podcast mm-hmm. and this season's yep. all about uh expertise mm-hmm. and ex- respecting expertise and um this is the episode is uh called respect the polygon and it's all about weather and weather prediction and weather modeling and mm-hmm. and uh it talks with a uh meteorologist from i think alabama who is I think it's Alabama, um, who's like like the second most well known person in Alabama, mm-hmm. and um, he's like, we now have models that can pinpoint down to a, polyg- a a polygon that might be just a few blocks city blocks wide um, where a tornado might hit and and he's like, when we have that sort of data, there's a high probability. Of there being a tornado. However, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that there's going to be a tornado. It just means it's right. a probability of, of a, a tornado and how, because the prob people don't understand, or some people don't understand. Don't well,
0: know. most people don't. I mean, I but, think that uh, was the
1: point. Yeah. Right. Is that they don't understand, you know, the probability doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to happen or what it, 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 you know, what that means in terms of actual, like actually encountering a tornado, they're like, well, I, I, I hid my basement. We didn't get a tornado. So this thing must be wrong. Yeah. um But, and then what ends up happening is because they, they don't understand the limitations of the model or what the model or the utility of the model, mm-hmm. because I, they're pretty powerful. These, I mean, to think that we now have the ability to like, to pinpoint down to like a few city blocks as to where, you know, the mo- the highest likelihood of a tornado would be, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, yet the probability of that is still, you know, whatever it is, and that people are going, okay, well, it didn't happen. So I'm not going to trust that the next time they tell me to hide in my basement. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the, 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 the point of this is that, you know, we have to, we're, we're one, being able to create lots of really complex Computer models now, um, both in our classrooms and in science in general, um, but they have to have a better understanding of what the the limitations and the utility of those models.
0: Yeah, and what you know, I mean, that's a sort of nuance that you're getting at there, which is this idea that you know these models are it goes back to that issue of uncertainty that we that i brought up before right which is these models are increasingly probabilistic which is to say that they they have to sort of take randomness into account because yeah. because randomness is in these systems so if you know the the interesting thing was that that meteorologists talking about um, how much forecasts have improved, and but how little people still sort of get how much they've improved, right? Like the thing that I'm still stunned by is the app on my phone, Dark Sky, um, which, you know, basically will predict rain where I am, my exact location with astonishing uh, accuracy, right? It'll be, it'll say, like, okay, it's going to start raining in four minutes and it's going to rain for, you know, 35 minutes and then it's going to stop. And, you know, I, the, the idea of telling that to somebody like 20 years ago, like you're going to have a device in your pocket that you can pull out and look at it and it'll say it's going to start raining in four minutes and stop in 35 and it's going to be pretty accurate is, is uh, you know, that's astonishing, right? It I is. mean, it, so what we're able to do with these models is really unbelievable, but it still is a model. It's still not the thing, right? This keeps going back. This is the theme of the uh, the episode, I guess. You know, the model is not the thing. Right. It, it can be good. It can be close. It can be super useful, um, but it's never going to be the thing because there's the real natural systems are just too complicated and too complex. Like we, you know, maybe someday in the future we'll have computational models that are good enough that can take care of all this stuff. uh, But then they'll take us over and it'll be Terminator and we'll (laughs) we'll be batteries in a, in a matrix somewhere. So um, yeah.
1: Wow. That, that, that went dark right there. Yeah. Talk about dark skies. That's, that's, Oh, oh, look at uh, you.
0: Yeah, but I mean, this, but I do think this is a, you know, this is, this is the fundamental point I think that you and I are trying to make here is a, well, a modeling is really important practice. Um, but one of the reasons it's such an important practice is so that people understand the relationship between the model and the thing that is being modeled, right? So this is true in epidemiological models, which is why COVID had all the struggles that it right. did, right? And that's why the the novelness of the virus is so important to the difficulty of modeling, right? Because the less you know about something, which is to say the more novel it is, the more difficult it is to model, right? And the more data you get, the better your models get. And as your models get better, your predictions change, which is to say the truth changes, right? And this is things pe- this is things that people don't like. They don't like it that, well, now... You should be six feet apart instead of twelve feet apart, or now you should wear masks that do this kind of thing and or that kind of thing, or now it's better if everybody's masked, not just the people that are sick. It's like well, okay, so you clearly science doesn't know what's going on it's like
1: that. and it's actually the opposite right, right it's exactly. the 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 thing that's the the that's really interesting about that is to a lot of folks it's it communicates well science doesn't know. And to those of us engaged in science, it's like, hold on, we know more than we did like two weeks ago because we're changing something that, you know, something, some recommendation we made or some understanding we had, like now we're changing it. And so we must have some information. And that's, I think, the part where we have to engage students, our students in the practice of, you know, making models and then gathering evidence and changing those models so that they can better understand how science as a practice works that's the i think the part that's the because the more that we teach it as the big book of models like Mm -hmm. these are the like as as models as being outcomes rather than models as being practices that students and scientists engage with and that they relate to the evidence that they can collect the more that they'll understand how science and and medicine, all the things that they engage with works. And I think that the uncertainty piece is something we absolutely have to talk about because I think that, you know, um, that's sort of built in in all this. Right. And it's not just like, well, let's just calculate some percent error. And, you know, right. I was going (laughs) to say like,
0: that's the classic, right. In, in science, when, when you and I were teaching physics, like there was always a section at the end where they figured out experimental error or had to explain what experimental error was in that particular instance. And in no case did they ever, I don't think, I, I certainly didn't talk about it with my kids this way. Like at no point did they say, Oh, well, The equations are limited because they don't take into account all of these factors that we can't take account of. And so they're good approximations, but they're not going to be 100% accurate, and therefore they shouldn't. I mean- you and I both know, right? One of the most difficult labs with with high school students is momentum, right? You do these collision yeah. collision labs that are supposed to help them understand the conservation of momentum. And the truth is like 90% of the time, there's no conservation. It's like, it's a big mess. Right. And, and all you can do is say, yeah, but you can see in all this messiness where the model is basically where the, where the rule comes from. And people are like, what are you talking about? Like, this is just a bunch of messy. And, um, so I think that is another example of not understanding that conservation of momentum and the equation related to it are a model, right? They're an approximation. They are super helpful and useful. Um, But the closer you get to the actual thing, the less the model represents the thing because it can't because because a model that is actually the thing would be as complex as the thing. And that doesn't really that doesn't really help you. So you need to have something that is less complex because that helps you make predictions. But the problem is those predictions then are never going to be 100 percent accurate. They're always going to be flawed. And so, you know, that's why going back to this guy, who's a, uh, a weather person, you know, him talking about how the, the critique of weather people has only gotten worse, even though the forecasting has gotten so much better. Right. Yeah. That, you know, now, because in the past people knew like, oh, weather's hard. And you, your, your prediction was, well, tomorrow the high will be, you know, somewhere in the seventies and there's a chance of rain. And that's, that was the forecast, no percentage, no, you know, chance of rain or partly cloudy or whatever. And now they, you know, they can, they can be significantly more accurate than that. Again, just on your app, you can see, you can see like, okay, the chance of rain at noon is 35%. And by one it's 72%, but then by four, it's down to 21%. So, you know, even that is remarkable in, in, which I
1: used to my advantage yesterday, I needed to cut grass and I looked at the, the app Sunday, Mm -hmm. not how well, uh, you know, the night before I looked at the, at the night before and I went, Hmm, it's going to start raining around 10 30. I need to go out pretty early in the morning to start cutting grass. And sure enough, it started raining at 10 30 and I was done. I was finishing up and, you know, as the rain started, I was like, look at me, look
0: at that using models,
1: using models to my advantage, you know, but (laughs) also understanding the uncertainty, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Good. Well, I think, I think we've, I think we've done some some due diligence here around models mod- and we can, modeling and I, yeah. I think
1: we i i think we probably should tally up the number of times we said model or modeling yeah. and the number of times we say practice. practice you know practice, practice. it comes practice. up we yeah. do talk about practice a lot and we do you know and I think those are uh, important things for us to talk
0: about. Yeah. You well, know? and and you know, again, themes of the show, the shift yeah. away from science as a set body of knowledge to science as a set of practices that you engage in to develop understandings about the yeah. world, right? Not just learning the models, but learning how to how to model. That's that's huge. That's a huge shift. It's it's huge, I tell you. It's huge. huge. It's huge. Yeah. huge. All right.
1: Joys. Joys are also pretty huge they're huge they're pretty big they're pretty important are you ready to go why i I do have one okay always in the waiting i'm ready to go all right i uh uh, the missus and i rented julia just recently (laughs) the (laughs) missus the lovely mrs drayon uh she and i rented julia Okay. Uh, the Julia child documentary. Uh, oh, yeah. it was so good. I mean, okay. So, you know, like I, you know, going back to the, like, I think the very first joy for me as we started to do this, this podcast was chopped. Mm-hmm. I watch yep. chopped religiously every week. Um, And th- I would say that's the only like must see viewing for me any, any week. It's like, Oh, Hey, it's Tuesday, new chopped on. Um, So I'm, I like, cooking shows i engage with cooking shows a lot i like to watch people cook um so this was something that's been you know a movie that tanya my, my wife and tanya and i have wanted to watch for you know weeks um we finally found the time to do it and Julie child is just amazing i mean yeah. i was growing up i wasn't like i guess i was as familiar with her from the saturday night live sketch as i was <laughs> you know. Uh, but you know, here she was, she, she is, has a very wealthy background. She grows up in, in a, from a very wealthy background in, in California where she never cooked and her family never cooked. They had people who cooked for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in world war II joins the joins the, uh, army actually joins the OSS as a typist Mm -hmm. and then, you know, falls in love and then, you know, moves to France later and it's like, oh, you know what? I love this food. I'm just going to use my GI Bill to go to the Cordon Bleu to study. Culinary school, Yep. Yeah. And now at the time, you know, it was a male-dominated field. You know, like to become a chef, a French-trained chef, it was a male-dominated field. And so she was coming in as an outsider and just, you know, I, she she revolutionized the industry of – of what it meant to be a home cook to cook at your house. And to, cause at the time, like, you know, food was, you know, American food was, you know, jello molds and, you know, yep. TV dinners. And because she, you know, was promoting the book that she and some friends had written in France, she had, you know, got on public television and was trying to, you know, just promote the book. And she said, Hey, I'd like to make an omelet, you know, can I have a hot plate to make an omelet? Like that created an industry, that momentary thought, Hey, can I teach someone, can I make an omelet while I'm promoting the book revolutionized, it created an industry of, of, you know, watching cooking on television and watching it on Instagram and watching it on Facebook and everything. It's just, I just think about like all of it comes from, and that's not an exaggeration. That is, that is like it period. You know, if she hadn't done it, no one else would be doing it. Or, you know, I, I I can't, maybe I can't say that, but I can say that, you know, a lot of these folks who are doing this owe a huge debt to Julia Child, you know, paving the way. Yeah, So it's just awesome. It is awesome. If you're into cooking shows, I just, so many times I was like, that looked really, because they show people cooking while they do it. It's like, so like delicious. Yeah. This is, yeah. Julia Chow. Julia. Yeah.
0: Document. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, I will also uh, choose something from the video medium, but that is of, of a very different ilk than Julia. Um, so, I just finished the um, the miniseries on HBO Max, Peacemaker. Um, so, this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Have you seen this? I have. Yeah. So, um, so this is, follows uh, John Cena's character from The Suicide Squad, which is not the same thing as Suicide Squad. So, that's a complicated DC universe thing that I right. don't really understand the nuance of, but... There was a second Suicide Squad movie um, that actually is, I think, is quite good. And in the end of it, um, this character Peacemaker um, and his his tagline is, uh, I want peace and I don't care how many men, women and children I have to kill to get it. Um, But uh, so he uh, he's this well in the in the movie he's sort of this ironical buffoon that you you just you know you think is funny um but i think the show does him a real service and i think does john Cena a lot of service oh, yeah. as an actor i mean really impressive i mean it's a. I don't want to make it sound like it's it's high uh culture because it, it is, is not. not
1: it is not there are times it's, when you're like going oh my god goodness yes
0: even from the first episode you're just like wow i can't believe they put this on television but um that said it is it's just it's it's hilarious of course because that's the key thing that it should be but it's also got a lot of heartfelt stuff in it and and he's you know ultimately genuinely genuinely this nice guy with a big heart that just is had a had a terrible life because his dad is a complete garbage fire and uh and <laughs> and uh and he's got you know a friend who's this odd little sociopath who has no like really really interesting vigilante character um yes. and then you know this, this and don't team, forget eagle eagle Eag- 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 eagle eagle the eagle his his b f f um who's who is a great character as well uh but then you know this ragtag team of Um, people from from the movie who are assembled into this team um and it's just it's great Uh, i i loved it it's it's hilarious and um and stupid but in the best possible way and then just really heartfelt and uh and the the acting in it is really pretty pretty good so uh I strongly well, recommend it. And uh, not to
1: get not to nerd out on this, this is yeah. uh it's a James Gunn production. So yep. James Gunn is the is the guy who did uh the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Uh he's I mean, he's known for that kind of like you know humor slash sentimentalism right. slash also pop culture he puts out everything in time yes. right and so if you watch uh gardens of the galaxy you know that music is a big thing it is a big thing in peacemaker yeah, it too is. it's just a different genre of music completely the hair metal. The hair <laughs> metal is is fantastic um but if you were uh, if you've watched the guardians of the galaxy and thinking oh this would be really great for my kids to watch no, do not watch do this not. with i would say you know if if you even have adult children this might be a thing nope, a thing to watch that you want to avoid watching with them because there are times yes. that you will absolutely be uncomfortable um yes. because this is uh his more adult it's more adult content i would yeah. say um i, I would not just say i would emphasize uh, yes <laughs> that is, absolutely um, yeah but it's it is good viewing it's laugh out loud funny and it is and it does tug at your heartstrings so yeah that's a good recommendation i I haven't finished it yet i'm probably about like two-thirds of the way through Um, it's one of those ones where i'm looking for something just a little you know i want to say mindless because it's a little bit more than that but mm -hmm. um but i'm looking to laugh because it's going to be something funny and it is yeah it is that's a good recommendation Scott. yeah
0: yeah it's a fun show
1: the peacemaker and Julia couldn't be too more. Watch them back to back. Yes, <laughs> that's great. Wow, another t- time well spent with you, Scott. Yeah. Uh, science in between. Right back at Yeah, uh, and we'll see you next time. In between. See you
0: then.
1: I know.